0: This Rabbi Yakov Wolby podcast is sponsored by Fabuloso Household Care rabbi, Cleaner. Fill your home with joy. no ads on my podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Tyson's Face Tats. No Have ads, you ever wanted to look like... No sponsorships. Average rabbi, please. Bill and Anthony's Daily Multivax. Order your six-month supply rabbi, with go. promo code TORCH for 10% Average off... Average rabbi. No ads. No sponsorships. No promo codes. But this is how we make money. This is not how we make money. This is not how we make money. I, I will not subject... My podcast listeners, the listeners that I love, the listeners that want to come hear Torah and hear words of wisdom and learn about their heritage and learn about Jewish history and learn about Jewish values and connect themselves with the Almighty and connect themselves with his Torah and deepen their bond with their soul. I'm not going to have readouts. Rabbi Basco, my dear colleague, I'm not going to do it. Rabbi, we have bills to pay. (sighs) So what's the other option? Is there anything else we could do? we need help. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we, maybe we do something else. You see, most podcasts, they have to pay their bills and they have ads and they have readouts and they have promo codes and they have dollar shave club and Geico and mattresses. I don't want to sell you mattresses. I want to give you what you come for. I want to give you Torah. Telera- I want to give you wisdom from the almighty. I want to give you a connection with our glorious religion and glorious heritage but we need a pair of bills. So what we do is that we don't do any ads, no ads. No no matter how much the average rabbit, my colleague, Robert Busco, insists on doing ads, insists on doing these promo codes, none of that. We do an annual fundraiser, and that's happening right now. And the website for that is givetorch.org. Give, the word give, to give. Give your heart. Give your soul. Give a little boost, a little bit of love to torch. GiveTorch.org. It's happening right now. Every donation is doubled. This is our only annual fundraiser. We do this once a year. Until next year, you're not going to hear about this. It's happening now. If you, if you're hearing this right now, you should know that it's still active. Every donation is doubled. And yes, Rabbi Busco, he's insistent. He's insistent. Are you insistent? Well, If there's a A a better (laughs) solution, I I do like the multivax. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Maybe we'll maybe we'll make a little exception for that, but no ads. That that's the plan. We've done now podcasts since 2012, 12 years, and we're committed to this. We're committed to connecting Jews and Judaism locally in Houston and globally throughout our podcast and the many other digital offerings that we have here at Torch. We do one fundraiser a year, and we want your support. Visit GiveTorch.org. Right now, press pause on the podcast. Press pause. Stop the podcast. GiveTorch.org. Make a donation. And then you know for the rest of the year, you are partnering with us. We're not going to bombard you with ads. We're not going to bombard you with fundraising emails every day, every week, every month. Once a year, we try to get everyone to give, everyone to contribute. If you appreciate our work, if you enjoy our work, if you want to support our work, If you want to support the great rabbis here at the Torch Center, Rabbi Buster, the average rabbi, and everyone else that's over here and all the incredible work that we do here from the Torch Center, Houston, Texas, visit givetorch.org right now and make a donation. Show us some love. We're not going to, we're not going to drive you crazy. Make the donation. Of course, my email address is rabbiwobegema.com and that website again, givetorch.org. This mitzvah podcast is dedicated towards the speedy recovery and refu shalema, the complete and total recovery of our dear friend Tsvi Simcha Ben Fruma, longtime friend, longtime supporter of the Torch Anthony Santach says he's undergoing surgery today. And we wish him that he has a complete and total recovery with no lingering effects, gets back on his feet and is ready to conquer the world, Tzvi Simcha Ben Fruma, for a complete and total recovery. And of course, my email address is RabbiWolby at gmail.com We are up to mitzvah number 144. And this is the mitzvah that we mentioned very briefly last time, the mitzvah of pigrel. Pigrel is a Hebrew word, which means disqualified, and it's a reference to a certain type of sacrifice that gets disqualified. So, of course, we're following the mitzvot in the order in which they appear in the Torah, and we're in the Book of Leviticus, so there are a lot of mitzvot that relate to sacrifices, and this one in particular is the prohibition against the consumption of a sacrifice that became disqualified under the category of pigle. and that is a reference to when there was an incorrect intent, not an action, an intent, at some point in the processing of a sacrifice, in the slaughtering, in the receiving of the blood, in the walking towards the altar, in the sprinkling of the blood upon the altar, at some juncture in that process, the Kohen who was processing the sacrifice had an incorrect thought. Regarding this sacrifice. And there are many different incorrect thoughts that they could have had. They could have said, well, I have in mind for the sacrifice to help atone for the sin of my friend Bob. But really it wasn't Bob who brought it. It was the other guy. It was, it was Jim who brought it. Or I'm really focusing my devotion to do this Ola sacrifice, but really it's a Shlomim sacrifice. Or I'm slaughtering it with the intent that the owner eats it in a week from now, when he's only allowed to eat it, you know, today and tomorrow. Or my intention is that I am walking towards the altar so that the owner can eat the sacrifice outside of Jerusalem. If at any point in the processing of the sacrifice... The person who's doing the deed, the deed of the sacrifice, has an incorrect thought. Such a sacrifice becomes invalid and may not be consumed. And the term that the Torah uses for this is pegel, which means disqualified. This sacrifice is disqualified. Now, the Sefer he goes through some of the examples that would... Disqualify a sacrifice. And again, it's all about the incorrect thoughts that the person who is processing the sacrifice may have. And the first example that he brings is if someone is processing the sacrifice, again, any one of these four major stages, slaughtering of the animal, the accepting of the blood in a sacrificial or in a, in a, uh, sacred vessel, the walking towards the altar, or the sprinkling upon the altar, if at any point in time the Kohen has in mind that this sacrifice will be consumed after the time frame in which it is typically allowed to be consumed, such a sacrifice becomes Piggel. In addition, if there is a sacrifice that the the person doing it has a mind to process it at a later date, meaning it has to be processed promptly. If the person says, oh, I'll I'll do it tomorrow, I'll finish the job tomorrow, in such an instance, that would be another example where this sacrifice becomes piggle. So that's the general idea that when the person is doing the processing of a sacrifice, it's not enough to do it properly to follow the protocol of what you're supposed to do, but it also has to extend to what you're supposed to be thinking in your mind, as you are doing the protocol of the sacrifice. Now, the Sefer Chinoch, which is the book that we are using to go through the 30 mitzvahs, in the elucidation of every one of the mitzvahs, he offers us a rationale. What could be a reason? What could be some idea that makes sense to us, that resonates with us as to why this particular mitzvah would be fitting and he tells us that this makes a lot of sense because after all, what is the purpose of a sacrifice? Why would a person be told to bring a sacrifice? What is a person supposed to be thinking when they bring a sacrifice? The purpose of sacrifices is to elevate a person, is to transform a person, it's to cleanse a person, and specifically to cleanse their essence, their mind. To take their insights, not just to change them on a super, superficial level, but their insights. Who they are. What their soul is. What they are thinking. And to change their mind. And to change their perception. And to change their perspective. And to get them to realize that violating the will of God is a terrible idea and following the proper path is a very good idea. Sacrifices are about realizing how futile it is to invest your time, your energy, and your resources in your, so to speak, animalistic selves. You're conferring, so to speak, your guilt upon this animal and that animal gets slaughtered And that's the way to change how you view the world. When you bring a sacrifice, you're not supposed to just do it and get it over with. It's supposed to really impact you. It's supposed to make an indelible impression upon your heart. And it's supposed to change your worldview. If the essence of a sacrifice is to change how a person thinks... And certainly an incorrect thought that is done during the processing of the sacrifice will invalidate that sacrifice. If the whole purpose of the sacrifice is to cleanse, is to elevate, is to transform how a person thinks, then certainly if a person thinks incorrectly while doing the thing that's supposed to refine and upgrade their thinking, that process must be done over. That process is invalid. Now, the Sefer after he gives the general introduction to the mitzvah and he offers a rationale, he gives a sampling of some of the laws. And he brings many intricate laws in this particular mitzvah, but we'll share only a few of them. So again, he talks about some of the instances of types of thoughts that a person can have that would invalidate the sacrifice. So if a person thinks that I'm bringing this type of sacrifice but ultimately, but in truth, he was supposed to bring a different sacrifice or he had an incorrect thought regarding whom he was processing the sacrifice for or he had a thought about the wrong location in which the sacrifice would be consumed or the wrong time frame and so on Or he was thinking he was doing shechita, slaughtering, but really he was doing something else. That would invalidate the sacrifice. The sacrifice would need to be done again. And such a sacrifice would not be consumable. It's prohibited. And that is this mitzvah, mitzvah number 144. Now, it's interesting that the Torah treats this very seriously. Of course, the whole subject of sacrifices, as we've mentioned in the past, it's very foreign to us. It's very distant from our life experience. But that's only because we're living in suboptimal times. We don't have a temple. We don't have the presence of God permanently amongst us. We don't have the ability to bring a sacrifice and to have a process by the Cohen and to have a change in the standing of our soul. So the whole thing is a bit foreign. But we're told that this is a very serious infraction. If someone were to, God forbid, consume from pedrol, from disqualified sacrifices, it actually carries the penalty of karis, of spiritual excision, of spiritual disenfranchisement from the nation. And that, of course, should very much get our attention. It's almost like the Torah is saying, if someone violates this, this would be grounds for them to be excluded from the nation. Now it is interesting, even though there are many, many different types of thoughts that would disqualify a sacrifice, this heightened penalty of karis of spiritual excision, that's only for one specific type of misthought, And that's when a person thinks about eating it outside the correct time frame. So you have many types of incorrect thoughts done at some point in the processing of a sacrifice that would invalidate the sacrifice and prohibit it from consumption, but only when the particular misthought was to eat it after the end of the time frame in which it may be eaten, only that kind of violation of the laws of Pilgrim would carry the penalty of carries And again, this is all about having an incorrect thought. What's amazing about this is suppose the Kohen is doing the process and he's like, oh, we'll eat this next Tuesday. And the truth is, they eat it the very same day. It's actually consumed within the correct time frame. It doesn't matter. Because there was an incorrect thought at some point in the processing of the sacrifice, that becomes pigrel, it is invalidated, and the violation, when the incorrect thought was of the nature of eating it outside the time frame that is allowable by the Torah, such an infraction would carry the penalty of Curry's. Now, there's a few, I think, interesting lessons for us that we could share. My grandfather, Abbas blessed memory, he, in one of his books, he cited a teaching from the great Rabbi Israel Salanter, Rabbi Israel Salanter, who was the founder of the Muslim movement. And in one of his letters, he writes... About the imperative of self-perfection. We believe that, you know, we're here to, to do mitzvahs and to study Torah and to follow what Hashem wants of us. But part of that is to fix ourselves. It's to transform ourselves. It's to elevate ourselves. It's to refine ourselves. It's to fix and correct our flaws and develop and burnish our qualities, our positive attributes. The highest ideal is a person who is what's known in the literature as a shalim, a complete person, a perfected person. Someone who took their flaws that they were born with and, and fixed them and addressed them and did what it takes to actually change, to develop the positive qualities, to suppress or to eliminate the Negative qualities. And Rabbi Israel says, if a person does not have perfected character, they're actually not a candidate to render halachic rulings. We think of maybe, you know, Torah greatness and Torah mastery as being a different category of our spiritual life. It's a different category than character refinement, ethical development, self-transformation. They seem to be different. One's kind of the pursuit of the intellectual studies, disciplines of Torah. And one's to really work on your character and develop yourself. Rabbi Ezzelon says, this is an example of piggle. Just like when you have a sacrifice. If you're an outsider, you see a sacrifice. You witness it from beginning to end. The person brings the sacrifice, it's the right animal. Hands it over to the Kohen, the Kohen does the slaughtering, and it's perfect. The knife was razor sharp. All the protocol was followed properly. The coin came with the, the right vessel, all in perfect compliance with the protocol and takes all the blood and goes, sprinkles it on the, on the altar. And the parts that need to be burned are burned atop the altar. Everything's processed with exactitude, following all the loss, the intricate loss to a T you have no idea whether or not this is real or it's rejected, it's disqualified. Pedro refers to the fact that there could be a flaw that's completely disqualifying, that's totally invisible. There's no way of knowing, cannot perceive it at all. And it's so destructive and it's such a disqualification that if someone were to consume from the sacrifice, it's, it carries with it this very harsh and stiff penalty of curries. Just as there is piggle, says Rabbi Israel is- 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 Solanter in the temple, there is pigle elsewhere. And the example that he brings is character perfection. If we want to engage with Torah, we can take a lesson from something which is very foreign to us. You know, the holy day of sacrifices in general and and the thoughts that are the the appropriate thoughts and what if they had their own thought? There's a very powerful lesson for us. What is expected of us, it's not just things that are on the surface. Our thoughts, our insight, that has to be proper and in line with what Hashem wants as well. Otherwise, it's it's pigrel And that's very serious. That's very serious. What's in our heart, you may argue, and there are sources to support this, that's even more important than what we're just doing with our actions. Our sages tell us, Rachmana liba boy, God wants our heart. In antiquity, the Talmud tells us, they weren't as bright as we are. They weren't as studious as we are. They weren't as advanced in the very difficult and intricate laws as we are. But when they prayed, they wanted rain, it started raining. And when we pray, we get no response. But we're so much more advanced than they are. How do you reconcile that? And the answer is, God wants the heart. The heart, the part of a person that's hidden from other people, that cannot be seen. Does the person have a a righteous, meritorious heart? Is who they really are in a way that no one else can witness, or visualize. Is that righteous? Is that upstanding? Is that in line with what Hashem wants? That's one lesson perhaps that we can take from this idea. Again, it's a foreign idea to us because all sacrifices are foreign to us. So we understand the basic contours of the mitzvah. We understand that, well, you gotta got to think about what you're doing and the thoughts have to be appropriate. Otherwise, it may... Invalidate the sacrifice. We get that, but there's a lesson for us as well, to our behavior, that it should also even the parts that are not visible to others, it should be righteous and it should be conforming to what Hashem wants of us. Now I did see something very interesting in the uh, in the art scroll. The art scroll translation and elucidation of the Sefer HaChinuch. So at the end of every mitzvah, they have like an insight, which is some idea that, that they wrote about this mitzvah. And in our mitzvah, mitzvah number 144, they cite a very interesting idea that I want to share with you, courtesy of Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch explains that in every sacrifice, at least the ones that are consumed by humans, there are two almost opposing elements that go hand in hand. You have an animal. Animals healthy, animals robust, animals alive, capable of bearing offspring. And it sounds so harsh. You take it to the temple and you slaughter it. And, you know, some people today may have some qualms about that. Maybe it sounds a bit barbaric to some. And it kind of is, because we're taking a, a life and we're destroying it. And that's by design. That's the point. That's not incidental. That's the point. And then you take the meat. And you consume it. Well, what does that do? That gives life, that gives sustenance, that gives nourishment. So you have two poles in this sacrifice process. And they're opposites. On one hand, you have the negation of life, the destruction of life, and then you have the sustenance and the bolstering the boosting, the strengthening of life with the consumption. and what he says is, I want to read to you some quotes here. I thought it was particularly well-written. These two stages of the offering, I'm reading from the art straw here, and the moral concepts they contain must remain intrinsically linked. The slaughtering and the consumption. The destruction of life and the rebuilding of life, they have to be adjacent to each other, both in time and place. If you renounce life and it's not connected to the renewed commitment of a spiritual form of life, i.e., if the slaughtering and the consumption are not connected, well, It's nothing more than purposeless self-destruction. Something that has no place in the service of God. I find this to be interesting because it's also a new perspective on sacrifices. Yes, we're killing the animal, but what do we do with the meat? We're eating the meat. And that process, it's almost like mirroring what we are supposed to be doing internally. We're supposed to realize that there are parts of ourselves that we need to eliminate and there are parts of ourselves we need to amplify and give life to. But if they, these two are separate, if you just slaughter the animal and there's no consumption, well, then it's just purposeless self-destruction, and that is not the service of God. Similarly, an embrace of life, the consumption of the animal, unattached to a rejection of unrestricted desires, i.e., if you don't have that first part, the negation of the parts of life that we want to quell, we want to quiet, if that's not connected, well, it's nothing more than the sanctification of unbridled physical drives, a concept that cannot be further from the ideal of the temple service. So someone just eating meat, 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 that's not what the temple's all about. Continues reverse. We are commanded to consume the offering within the precincts of the place in which it was slaughtered. And within a certain amount of time from the slaughter, one or two days, depending on the nature of the offering, to impress upon us to be vigilant regarding the intrinsic connection between slaughtering and consumption. It is for this reason that the very thought of distancing the consumption from the slaughtering, that is enough to render the offering invalid. Together, these two poles of this service revitalize the one bringing the offering with spiritual energy and purpose apart. They deprave the spirit and desecrate the service of God. So he, he goes on, and he explains why when someone thinks about eating it elsewhere, it's invalid, but it's not quite as bad as when someone thinks about eating it in Jerusalem, in the temple, but in a way that's not correct, because then you're actually defiling the temple. So it's actually worse, and that's why they that may carry the penalty of kares. That does carry the penalty of kares, whereas thinking about eating it elsewhere, it doesn't validate it, you cannot consume it, but it's not quite as severe. But I found this framework to be very interesting and helpful because again, it does help us connect more to the notion of, of a sacrifice. There's parts of our physicality that we're trying to eliminate. We're trying to quiet, we're trying to suppress. That's what we're here to do. And sacrifices can help us in that pursuit. And there are other parts we want to amplify. We want to give strength to. And we do those together. We're almost like breaking down ourselves in one area, but also rebuilding in another area. And that is a, so to speak, a step of perfection. And thus when they're, when they're separate, when they're distant from each other, even if it's only distant in thought, that would be sufficient grounds for such a sacrifice to be rendered invalid. So this is myths number 144. Again, we're talking about sacrifices. And uh, we're trying to go through all 613 mitzvos. A lot of them are not applicable today, quite yet, at least at the time of this recording. We hope very soon to be able to participate in all these mitzvos. But this is our objective, to get a little bit of a snapshot of these mitzvos. And hopefully through our study of these mitzvos, we will be connected on some level to the temple, to the sacrifices, and to their great powers of forgiveness and expiation. And of course, my email address is RabbiWalby at gmail.com. i look forward to your questions, your comments, and your feedback.